And for our lesson today, we're going to focus on verses one through three. I will read out loud those three verses, and then we will dive into uh, our lesson itself. Chapter four, James, starting with verse one. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The title of our lesson today is one I think all of us have struggled with. Why do some of our prayers go unanswered? James is going to deal with this. And, and most likely it's because of some of the things going on in that congregation. Uh, this is what a lot of the New Testament epistles, this is how they're written. Things going on in the congregation determine what they're going to write and respond to. Uh, and, and what we don't know, but it does make sense, that maybe someone has said to James, I, I've noticed that none of my prayers are being answered. And I look around the congregation, it looks like <laughs> a lot of prayers aren't being answered. So he deals with this. Now, it's interesting because he's going to focus on, like he did the tongue, it's kind of the way he does this, He's going, to, he's going to talk about some negative reasons why prayers go unanswered. And as we get toward the end of the lesson, I want to flip the point over and look at the positive reason as to how or why prayers can be answered. So it's often important, okay, this is how it isn't working. Now, if that's the case, let's flip the point over. How does it work? And, and it may be... And I've wondered about this this week. I wonder if James is hoping that because he's pointing out what's making it not work, that they're going to be wise enough to figure out what changes need to happen so prayer will work, okay? Unanswered prayer. It's a hard thing for a lot of Christians. I actually know people that have become sort of skeptics, maybe not agnostics, but skeptics, in their response to God because they didn't see prayers being answered in their life that they thought God offered to answer. The assumption is that if God loves us, he's going to give us what we need when we pray for it. Sounds simple. <laughs> but if you step back a moment and you think about that statement, we as parents and grandparents know that that isn't always true. Because just because children and grandchildren ask for something, doesn't mean that if we always give it to them, it's the best for them. So we know that. Uh, what what Now, this is interesting. I want you to think about this with your spiritual growth. As we try to make sure that we're focusing on growing spiritually all the time, one of the things I have to come to the point to realize is that not everything I think I want and not everything I think I'm praying to God for is always best for me. And, and I have to be open to God saying no and learn from that, and be okay with it, and not be like uh, a child. You ever seen a child pitch a fit or a tantrum <laughs> when they don't get what they want? Sometimes I think we Christians in our attitude are like a child pitching a fit, and we don't get what we want from God, okay? 
James is going to address this whole issue then. So let's start off and look at why are some of our prayers, why do they go unanswered? He's going to start off with a simple observation that may escape us. But there are other places in the New Testament that really hone in on this. And so uh, if you know the rest of the New Testament, how it approaches this, this isn't surprising. Some of our prayers go unanswered because our relationships with others are wrong. And we, we need to make that connection. I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of uh, scriptures here in a minute. Because he asks the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What's going on in that congregation? Well, they were fighting and quarreling, and we'll, we'll look at that in just a moment. But we fight outward toward others because, look at what he says. There's a fight going on within us. And, and I've seen this, and you've seen this in people. When things aren't right within a person, guess what? All of those unaddressed issues, things they haven't taken care of, and asking God to help them grow, when you let those go, guess what? That unfinished business just spills out on everybody else around you. And you've seen that, haven't you? Wow. Relationships being right is a precondition for answered prayers. We need to hear this. It's not just me and God, God and I in our closet. Well, yeah, you do need to have private time with God. But the power of those prayers rests on my desire for relationships around me to be right. We know this from Matthew 6, 14 and 15. This is right after the Lord's Prayer. Probably all of us can quote the Lord's Prayer. But if I were to ask you, okay, before you leave this morning, before you can go home, and before you can go have lunch, I want you to quote the next two verses. Well, we'd all probably be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but listen to the next two. This is right after the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you of your sins. I mean, it's just as clear as clear can be. And I don't know that through my lifetime, I'm owning up in my, I mean, maybe you all a lot further on this than I was. It took me years in my brain to understand what he's saying and that God makes that connection. Here's another one. We forget this one, especially we husbands. This First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. This is a word to the husbands. So let's see. Those of us this morning who are husbands, we need to listen to this one. You ready for this one? Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs together with you of the gracious gift of life. You didn't stop there. So that what? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Ooh, really? You mean I have to be right with my spouse? or it will hinder my prayer, it sure will. We need to hear this. And again, I can't tell you how many years I lived as a husband. <laughs> I wasn't aware of this verse very much. I mean, I've read it before, but to let it sink in 
and be part of my prayer life and how important it is that things have got to be right with your spouse before God's going to listen to your prayer or your prayers are going to be hindered. Whoa. <laughs> I, I, I think back of a comment that uh, Charles Hodge made one time when I was talking about we were in Texas and I was listening to him preach about grace and I was like, wow. And, and he was just going through the Bible, you know. He made a comment when I talked to him after his presentation. He said, you know, it's amazing what you learn when you just read scripture. <laughs> so if we read it and take it to heart, I mean, what's there is amazing. Okay. Did you know that the first fight recorded in scripture between Cain and Abel, Cain killing Abel, came from battles going on in his own mind. That Cain, as a worshiper, was rejected by God. Think of the anger, the jealousy, the unresolved issues that Cain had with God. What did he do? He took them out on his brother Abel. So our relationship with God, our prayer life, all of these are very important as we think about prayers going unanswered. So let's put it to the test here. I've got prayers going unanswered. Maybe I need to ask the question, is there something in my life at heart that I'm holding against somebody else? Is there, is there a relationship in my life where I'm all wrong? I've said things wrong. I've done things wrong against that person. Maybe I harbor some bitterness in my heart toward that person. Oh, man. I need to go. And so those are personal questions you have to ask yourself. This expression of what's going on. Fights and quarrels. The word fight can mean strife and battle. Uh, it's almost the expression all-out war. And think of how people, and you've seen this, hopefully you haven't been involved in this, where people can treat each other and they become unhinged with revenge and become all-out war against the other person. This is a really strong word. Or quarrels. Uh, one, one Christian commentator makes this comment, I really like it, because what he's doing, he's putting together these two words, fights and quarrels. Now, the thing that, that, that struck me is, do you realize that both of these words are in the plural? How many fights and quarrels were going on? I mean, apparently, it's gotten to a big enough issue, he has to talk about it here, okay? With both of these words coming together, it means something like a person is in a state of constant bitterness and hatred toward other person. And then occasionally, and especially when the person thinks it's to their advantage, it breaks out in hostility toward another person. So it's not a good picture he's painting here. There's a lot of hostility going on. From the perspective of wisdom literature, it's not surprising to them. When we say that the book of James is New Testament wisdom, you go back and look at Proverbs. Did you realize that in the book of Proverbs, and I, I think I kind of knew this, I didn't know the number, there are 14 passages in the book of Proverbs on quarreling. <laughs> Let me share the first four, just the four. I could have shared all four, the first four. Proverbs 15, 18. And I want you to listen carefully to each of these four because it's, it's kind of interesting in that it'll, it'll take a little different perspective on four. A hot-tempered person 
stirs up conflict. But the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Proverbs 17, 14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. How many times with our own experience of living out the Christian life, should we have dropped a matter instead of staying with it? <laughs> and what happened was that dam broke on us. We've been there, haven't we? Proverbs 17, 19. Whoever loves a quarrel loves sin. Really? Oh my goodness. Did you ever make that connection? Whoever loves a quarrel loves sin. Whoever builds a high gate invites instruction. It's almost like with that metaphor. Okay, I dare you. You know, in other words, I've built my citadel, my world is right here. I want you to know it. I dare you. Come and do something. So it's a person inviting for Proverbs 18:1. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. That's just the first four. <laughs> if we only live by the first four, oh my goodness, it's in Proverbs. We need, we need to start plastering these all over town, don't we? People think quarrel is almost like a First Amendment right. <laughs> well, not according to the wisdom of Solomon in the New Testament. So, some of our prayers go unanswered because relationships aren't right. Number two, did you know that some of our prayers are unanswered because we, we're not waiting long enough for God? You know how I know that? Look at what he said. This is kind of astounding. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet because you can't have it. The desire here is to get and to have it at all costs. Literally, you're warring passions. Like, you're letting your own desires actually drive you. And that's what's going to uh, enable you to get whatever you want. I want you to think about the unleashed selfish desires that create havoc in a person's heart. So, so, so if my heart is all stirred up and I'm letting it drive what I want, why would I even want to take time to ask God for something? Because in my own mind, I've got my hands around it and I'm going to make it happen. The havoc wreaks devastation on relationships when it's not attended to and taken care of by God. Now, the deep issue here is two things, coveting. We know it's, it's one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet, which is an inordinate desire uh, to get something that we shouldn't have, or we don't have any business even thinking about having because of its potential evil effects. But we also don't wait for God. But that covetousness is forcing the issue of getting something without waiting. And instead of waiting for God, and this is the big interpretive question here in James. So I want to throw it out for you to think about. He uses the word kill. Now, did he mean literally? Some people think he did. That there were some people in the congregation that actually were so strong in their passions and what they wanted, they actually killed somebody for it. Mm, I don't lean that direction, but if you want it to be literal, go ahead. <clears throat> 
it is a strong word that can mean slay or murder. Um, it, it may be a metaphor, and it's sort of like that we've used this way before in our conversation. Maybe someone's telling you uh, what they did to someone else, and you hear their story, and then your comment is something like this. Well, sounds like it killed that relationship. <laughs> and we'll use that phrase that way. Well, I think that's why that's how he's using it here. That because this deep desire to have and to get is so strong, it is destroying relationships in that congregation with each other. The, the fascinating thing that inquiring minds want to know that James doesn't give us, he doesn't tell us actually all the things that are covered. So I don't know if it was other people's spouses. I don't know if it was material things. He doesn't go into that. But he does say that it's the issue of covetousness, wanting something, that you're killing the relationships around you. According to Romans 13, 9, they had forgotten the second commandment. Listen to how Paul says in Romans 13, 9. The commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet, and whatever other commandment may be. All these commandments, he's saying, the Ten Commandments, they're all summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you covet, you don't love your neighbor as yourself. If you want what they've got, if you're going after what they've got, you don't have that love for your neighbor. Proverbs 8.11, again, there's another passage from Proverbs. I'll never forget this. I, and Nancy, you may remember this. Our oldest daughter got a copy one time of uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase uh, on, on uh, Proverbs. And I remember one evening that she was reading it. Said, okay, time to turn your light out, time to go to bed. So what are you reading? I'm reading Proverbs. And I'll never forget that she said, Dad, these are cool. <laughs> so uh, Proverbs, uh, or I mean, Peterson's paraphrase kind of puts it even in more contemporary language. But these Proverbs are cool. Well, not only are they cool, they're to the point, and they're kind of shocking because they're so uh, practical and so pointed. And sometimes we read them and we realize how much we haven't put into practice or listen to this divine wisdom. Proverbs 8, 11. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Now, is that our hearts? That nothing we can desire is more valuable than wisdom. Christian wisdom from experience and a gift from God. Nothing more important. The third reason that some of our prayers, the one answered, is because we ask with wrong motives. Seems like this morning in Bible class and church, I'm hearing a strong message of motives. Do you think God cares about our motives? Get right to the core of everything we do. Why do we do what we do? Motives in our prayer life is crucial. See, selfish motives involved in prayer don't help us to grow spiritually. Jesus is our example here, going to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, in agony. We call it the agony in Gethsemane. Part of that agony, I believe, part of that agony wasn't the physical. It was deeply emotional. Father, not my will, but yours be done. I cannot imagine that was an easy thing to do. 
that before God in prayer from the Garden of Gethsemane, making that statement, not my will, but yours be done. For James, he nails the specific wrong motive that he's aware of that's going on in the congregation, that you, you're praying, or even not even praying, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Uh, we would call that a hedonistic lifestyle. It's all about pleasure. Well, unfortunately, that describes the way some people live. That's what guides them. Is this going to make me happy? Is this going to be pleasurable? If it's not, I don't want to be counted in. I don't want to do it. I want what makes me happy and is pleasurable. That kind of lifestyle does not characterize what the Christian life is about. Number four, sometimes our prayers go unanswered because we go to Jesus Christ. The desire to have is not even entertained at times of prayer. Truth of this is that if we don't pray, we're not going to receive. You see, the first step for a child of God, no matter what the issue is, is that we don't take matters into our own hands. But we're so used to doing that. But the person who wants to be like Christ immediately puts the matter in God's hands. Did you know we can pray without really praying? Well, that's something that's startling that we find in Jesus' ministry. Remember the Pharisee who went up to the temple to pray? Father, I thank thee. I'm not like that sinner. You know? I pray. I tithe. I do all this good stuff. And I'm not like him. But Jesus, in telling that little vignette, he goes, now who do you think went down to their home justified? <laughs> was it that Pharisee or was it the sinner? And then... Jesus confronts the Pharisees in his ministry for making long prayers with big and impressive words because they want other people to hear them. Well, they're praying, but they're not getting those prayers answered. There are many passages in the Psalms, and I didn't have time to go through and look at all of those. But you, when you come across these, you need to mark these. There are places in the Psalms where the psalmist is very clear as to why some of his prayers are not being answered. There's a ton of those verses. The illustration of Solomon and Ecclesiastes trying to experience life on his own terms without God or even praying to God is a good illustration. And what's amazing is even though he tries to live life under the sun on his own terms, just living life, he's forced, and he does, he bursts forth and prays to God anyway. And it's in the middle of all of this stuff that he's trying to experience and he's trying to live life on his own terms to see what it's about. And then he ends at the very end of that experiment. What's the whole duty of man? Fear God. Keep his commandments. It includes the whole person being immersed in a prayer life, ready to pray, for, pray to God for what we need. There's a song in our songbook. And I, think, I hope I got the number right. If you have your songbooks, uh, turn to number 100. Number 100. And I want this one to serve in a second as our invitation hymn. I think we've got another number down, but I want this one to serve. So if some of our prayers go unanswered because our relationships are terrible, we force answers instead of waiting on God. We ask with the wrong motives. 
or we don't even pray. What's the answer to all of this? It's anticipating the answer that he gives in chapter 516. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. A powerful, effective prayer life is predicated on a daily commitment to actually praying to God, making sure our attitudes and behaviors toward others are right, and that we're reconciled with them. We're resting in God's timing, not our own, and we ask with the right motives, not for self-centered pleasure, rather self-sacrificing service like Jesus. Boy, in just this one little paragraph of three verses, if, if we would just do the flip side of what he's pointed out that's going wrong and why prayers are going unanswered, think of how many of our prayers would be answered. And we could view our prayer life as powerful and effective. Are we ready to come to God through Jesus with our prayer life on a daily basis that expects answers to prayer that are prayed with the right motives? Let's embrace in our life the kind of prayers that come from being reconciled with others, waiting on God, praying with the right motives. That's the kind of prayer that we want to pray. And may God grant us the wisdom, the courage, and the tenacity of faith to embrace this kind of prayer life, that it's lived wisely, powerfully, and effectively to the glory of God.